0: All right. Ready? Here we go. Three. Nope, I'm not ready. Oh, I'm you're not, not ready. Okay. To, okay. I okay. got it
1: back to zero. I'm ready. Okay. I'm ready.
0: Okay. <laughs> you're listening to Midnight Theology, a podcast where we talk all things Christianity, leadership, culture, and life as they relate to the Wesleyan Methodist movement. I'm your host for today, Adam Penn, and I'm joined by Gabe Wank
2: hey, y'all.
0: and Sarah Wank. Hey guys. And Larry would be here, but his MacBook broke down today, so he's probably at Best Buy seeking the assistance of the Geek Squad. <laughs> so pray <laughs> for Larry's MacBook. <laughs> Uh, Well, last month we talked about uh, deconstruction, uh, but the episode before that, uh, we had a lot of fun talking about uh, John Mark Comer's 2019 book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, uh, which not only diagnoses the spiritual sickness otherwise known as hurry, but talks about four practices rooted in the life and ministry of Jesus that can help us ruthlessly eliminate it from our lives. And if you recall, one of those four practices is the spiritual discipline of silence and solitude. Multiple times throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus withdrawing to be alone with his Father in prayer. This practice of centering prayer was a core spiritual discipline in the life of Jesus, and today we get to do a deep dive into this practice that Jesus invites us into as well. And help guide us through this conversation, we're delighted to have Dr. Brian Russell joining us today. Dr. Russell is an award-winning professor of biblical studies and former dean at Asbury Theological Seminary, as well as a transformational coach for pastors and spiritually-minded professionals. His personal mission is to seek out, study, and embody the deepest truths about God so he can share them compellingly, lovingly, and transformationally with others. He's the author of several books, most recently one entitled Centering Prayer, Sitting Quietly in God's Presence Can Change Your Life. So welcome, Dr. Russell. Uh, It's great to be here. Thank you all for uh, hosting me. Yeah, absolutely. We're delighted to have you on the podcast today. Uh, So to kick us off, um, give us an intro to the idea of centering prayer. What is it?
3: Uh, it's In essence, I think the simplest way to say it, uh, though it's pro- somewhat problematic, is just to call it silent meditative prayer. Uh, and uh, all three of those uh, words probably need to unpack just a little bit. It's uh, it's silent in the sense like you know, most prayers are, you can pray to yourself, but this is literally praying without words and trying to essentially s- the prayer is actually surrendering your thoughts when you realize you have them. And by thoughts, that would include feelings, um, images in your head. Uh, scripts, uh, actually words, any kind of thing that kind of goes through your head when you pay attention to it, you're essentially just surrendering that. And that's where the meditation part comes in. Uh, so that'd probably be the easiest way. And it's the, a vehicle to, to perhaps experience a contemplative prayer, which is always a gift that God gives back to us. So centering prayer would essentially be our side of uh, a contemplative prayer experience.
0: Okay, well, thank you. And um, and what led you to write this book?
3: Yeah, um, I essentially I sat down just a few a few years ago and was um, I'm kind of a dabbler when I write, and I felt like it was time to essentially process my own uh, growth and grace over a, a really a, a difficult season. Um, I framed the book uh, against essentially what I would call my dark night of the soul period in my life. Um, I went through a Incredibly painful uh, divorce experience in 2010 after being married for 20 years, and then I was literally just suddenly single, and I was left. My my two daughters and myself were left. I was a single father for a while, and um, hmm. watched my own faith basically eviscerate. Even though you know I was a pastor, a professor at the seminary, <clears throat> and everything just kind of shut down on the inside. And uh, you know, to make a long story short, uh, essentially my faith rebooted. I mean, you might even say even deconstructed there for a while, Mm -hmm. but the faith rebooted through essentially silence because I had this ironic place I found myself in. As a professor of the Bible, I found (laughs) the Bible wasn't particularly helpful for me, Um, not for any, probably something to do with my own heart, I suppose, at the time, but essentially all the, I mean, I knew what grief was. I knew how I would counsel somebody if I was talking to myself, but none of that stuff worked. And Mm -hmm. I just found essentially my way back doing prayer of examine, journaling, mm-hmm. and then the centering prayer was the completely new thing that a friend of mine showed, showed me how to do. And I just uh, slowly sat in silence and still did the other things too, but that's that's how I discovered it. So I like to say in the one of my darkest times, I found silence. And then in the silence, God found me and uh, blessed me mm-hmm. and I would say grew my heart in ways that uh, I wouldn't have anticipated.
2: Mm. I'm certainly sorry to, to, you know, to hear of your suffering and uh, a time of darkness. Um, It's not surprising to me, I guess, on some level that um, this new sort of newly discovered um, way of prayer, practice of prayer and experience with um, God comes alongside suffering, right? Um, And um, so many stories sort of like yours where, um, darkness or suffering, um, can sometimes strain relationship with God, but also sometimes out of that, then really, really deep in it. Right. And, and, uh, a special treasure sort of emerge emerging as a gift, right. Uh, from that suffering. Um, so, you know, Gabe and I have had, uh, a different suffering of our own over the course of this last year. And, uh, though it's painful and it's mm-hmm. full of grief, um, the discoveries that I've made, right. Of, of the presence of God and experiencing God differently, um, interacting with God differently have been, uh, a sweet balm right on, on that grief. And so, um, for those listening today, you know, sometimes you pursue prayer as another step of your faith, the continued means of growth. Sometimes it is, a response, um, of survival, right. In times of, um, darkness and uncertainty. And, and so I guess my heart is kind of going out to those listening today that might be in similar situations uh, to yours or to ours, um, who are desperate, you know, for something that may be their lifeline through their darkness. Um, um, and then, just personally, because given the topic of conversation, he may come. He may come up. My father had a um, had a middle of his life kind of call to a deeper life of prayer and um, uh, this kind of silent uh, contemplative prayer that truly transformed his life. Um, and I um, witnessed a lot of that uh, in a season in my life where I. I didn't experience it as much. And now I'm in a season in my life where I'm experiencing it more, what he tasted. And um, for our listeners, um, I knew my father was experiencing something truly sweet, something truly precious, and I couldn't taste it for myself. And now I have some of that experience. And um, I'm thankful you put it into words because it's really hard to describe um, some of the transformation or presence of God or call to prayer um, that becomes the treasure in these places of suffering and silence. So um, I'm really excited about what this book um, articulates for people who are seeking something more right of their life of prayer, either out of survival <laughs> um, or because they're hungry for something more. You just um, are articulating something that I think a lot of folks um, have tried to figure out about prayer. So I'm excited about what the rest of our conversation will unfold. Thanks for sharing your story so honestly.
3: Oh, well, you 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 are welcome, and sorry for whatever you've you've been struggling with. And it's really cool that you get to see that in your your own father. And um, and I'm hoping my children are a little bit uh, younger. They're you know, my old my youngest is 21, but I I'm hoping that they uh, I think they've slowly seen their their own father make a transformation. So I think that's really cool that you can testify to what happened in your dad's life. It's so beautiful. So thank you.
2: Yeah, it yeah it will bear seeds right in the life of your kids as they watch it uh, unfold because it it did that for us.
0: Uh, so Brian, can, can you walk us through your, your own centering prayer routine a little bit and kind of describe to us what it entails?
3: Yeah. And it's, it's one of those things that the centering prayer text itself is pretty simple to actually explain, but then you just have to actually do it and uh, kind of bumble through it at some level or stumble through it. Cause it's um, everybody always thinks they're doing it wrong, which, uh, it's, which is uh, never actually true. But, you know, for, uh, for, for me personally, um, you know what I what I do now is I do it first thing in the morning, um, and my wife has been doing it with me since the the quarantine time. So it's almost been two years that we've been doing it together. But uh, I essentially do it within probably ten minutes of waking up. Now we get coffee because my kids are grown up. If you have little kids, that's not you can't do what, what I do. <laughs> but you know we have a quiet house now, so wake up, um, have coffee, and then you know do twenty minutes together. And, and essentially, what I do uh, is. I use a Fitbit, so I have my 20-minute timer, though I always have to say I didn't start with 20 minutes. I kind of worked my way up, um, just, just being 100% transparent on that. I haven't been a warrior at 20 minutes <laughs> the whole time, because <laughs> it's not easy <laughs> when you first start. But essentially, I I, I usually I just close my eyes, and I like to start with the Jesus prayer, which is, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner, or on mercy on me, your child, however you want to pray that. But I like to start with that. And then my prayer word is Jesus. And uh, I always recommend people start with that, though you can use really any short word, a couple of syllables, tops. Uh, the prayer word is not a mantra. So you don't say it over and over again, but essentially you cl- close your eyes. And then when you become aware, which will be most of the time, that you're actually thinking about something and you just can't let it slide by, you just use the prayer word. So I see Jesus as a way just to essentially interrupt the thought and that's what the recentering is and you do that over and over until essentially your timer goes off or if you don't use a timer until you you know feel like you're you're done um and that's the whole practice uh, you know from time to time <laughs> and i don't like to always to, i don't think this is a promise i mean you know some people are waiting for something spectacular to happen um I would say nothing spectacular happens to me most of the time. Um, Every once in a while, I've really felt like I've been profoundly in God's presence, which, again, it's no thought. It just feels like pure love, I guess, which sounds kind of generic, but that's the only way that I can describe it in those couple of times. We're just talking about a couple of times over the years. was almost so good that I wouldn't ever need another experience like that my entire life. Mm-hmm. It was just enough. Mm-hmm. One, you know, one little zap of God's presence is pretty powerful. At least that would be what I've, what I found. I mean, so that's, that's the practice. Now, what I would say, um, the hardest part is dealing with the thought stuff. And, and there's probably two kinds of thoughts that are the trickiest ones to release. Um, and I can joke, since you all are, are pastors, I mean, the the number one hardest one is you get a sermon idea in the middle of the silence <laughs> write
1: that down let's write that down right now.
3: <laughs> exactly right i mean that's the temptation and that can and that can be translated really anybody's life something that you think you don't want to forget but you just have to trust the lord that it'll come back after you're done so those are one kind of hard thoughts the more difficult thoughts to deal with are what's called the uh, the troubling thoughts or the painful thoughts And this will happen pretty much to, I think, to everybody over time. If you do it long enough, you essentially get confronted with um, the hurt parts of yourself, um, the wounded parts of yourself, the shamed parts of yourself. Mm. And our tendency would be to kind of push that stuff down because we're embarrassed that we're seeing doing that while we're praying like in the book, I mean, it's still embarrassing to put it in the book, but it's the truth. So I stuck it in there. It's like, I I realized how angry I was Hmm. over time as I was getting unpacked, and I would just be sitting in silence, and I would just be replaying tapes of people that had wronged me. Hmm. And then I realized, like, geez, I'm praying to God. And uh, and so then I had to learn to release that. And then the other kind of embarrassing, probably more embarrassing was I would sit out and have like, why am I thinking about sex when I'm supposed to be in a silent prayer? <laughs> and I didn't, and I thought, I, and this is why I, kind of why I wrote the book eventually, because nobody told me this stuff was going to happen. So I just thought I was messed up massively on the inside that I was having these kind of things. And I then I found out that that's that whole seven deadly sins tradition that actually, which I didn't know for whatever reason. Um, that goes that came out of the contemplative tradition. So essentially, God was—I mean, my unconscious. Those were two of the, you know, lust and anger, two of the sins or whatever, or eight distracting thoughts that Evagrius Ponticus talks about. And so, those are the harder parts to deal with. But when you learn to release those things, because God knows what's in our heads anyway, and not repress them, I think as Wesleyans, and this is where I think the practice is profoundly Wesleyan it's, um, it's part of our sanctification. Then God can clean up these hidden parts. And I would mm-hmm. even say a lot of time when we talk about it like entire sanctification, we have that, um, get out of jail free, uh, card. Cause, um, we have that, um, you know, what, what do we call it? The infirmities, right? Those are the <laughs> things that, see. I, I think this is part of our infirmity stuff that God can mm-hmm. get way down on the inside of us and clean us up even more as we kind of move on in grace. And so, Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I'll stop there but those would be like the, I think the, the, that that'd be the practice and those are probably the two biggest challenges really th- things you don't want to forget and then things you wish you could forget <laughs> those, those are the two hardest thoughts to, to, to deal with when you're in uh, doing silence
0: yeah but amazing how God uses that time to bring those things to surface that we may not be consciously aware of or yeah. think that we have things together and then God shows us those things in those moments yeah that's a good I, word I,
2: I mean when else? When else is God supposed to do the work of um, healing wounds and uh, calling us to something better, right, in our own sin um, than if we don't have the space to reflect on that, right? Because otherwise our lives are so busy and so noisy and we're thinking so much that there's no room for the Lord, right, uh, to speak into our lives those places where he wants um, maybe to see uh, more, right, kind of goodness and uh, more refinement, that sanctification piece. Um, and so it. Uh, I am so glad you articulated this because, of course, the Holy Spirit is going to, you know, bring those things to mind when we're still because when else is he going to do it if, if there's not room for silence and solitude? Um, uh, and because it's part of the process of sanctification, we don't like to talk about it. But the confession of sin, right, the awareness of sin and the desire to be uh, transformed in our sin is part of the process. And and so um, I'm glad you articulated it because I think there's so many people who walk around uh, kind of like you started saying, um, if my thoughts aren't pure in prayer, if they're not free from distraction, then I must be doing this wrong. Mm. And so you've you've put into words, um, I think, for kind of average folks to say, no, you're not doing it wrong, you're, you're absolutely doing it right, because this is the kind of work that happens in us, right, when we allow the space for the Holy Spirit to do it, uh, so particularly that section in your book about thinking about our thoughts, right, and um, as a pastor, I find that that's the trip-up trip, trip up point for people in prayer mm-hmm. is is this piece of their thoughts. They don't know what to do with them, and so you talking through that piece gives them the tools to do so in a way I've not been able to articulate as a pastor.
0: Um, And on the note of our thoughts, you know, talking about the things that might pop up and how God does know both the contents of our heads and our hearts. uh, You list what you call the four R's of centering prayer uh, in your book. So can you just explain what those are and what, the part they play in centering prayer.
3: Yeah, thank you. And I probably almost should have said that before I said the other things. But this, this, this is the that's the, the shorthand or the four R's, and they're essentially resist no thought, retain no thought, <clears throat> react to no thought, gently return to Jesus, or gently return with your sacred word to Jesus. Yeah, and, and so quickly, the first two are pretty easy. The resist no thought is just a reminder that. I mean, you literally can't control what's going to pop into your head from one second to another. I mean, mean, it's literally true. I mean, you can focus your attention sometimes, but if you're just sitting in silence, you know, you don't even question, do I even have any free will? Because thoughts just bounce around inside your head from there. So, So you just don't resist it and you're not doing anything wrong by being aware of thoughts. But then the caveat is you don't retain the thought. And so when you notice you're in a loop, and sometimes it takes a few seconds to realize you're kind of thinking about something, but when you do, you simply don't retain it. You're going to gently return. Um, the react to no thought is essentially what I was describing earlier. It's when you get those difficult, painful thoughts, hurt thoughts, especially that can create um. I mean, I've seen in groups, I've seen people cry because they encountered some really painful part. I mean, and there's Mm -hmm. no shame on, that's not a bad reaction to cry. That's just emotions. But again, the tendency is to kind of push it down. And so like um, in the book, I use that. That's the illustration from um, the um, return of the King from, um, from the, the Tolkien film where Gandalf and a couple of the hobbits and a lot of the humans they're, they're defending, I think Gondor and, uh, And there's this huge army of orcs right outside the the gates. And there's this huge battering ram. And Gandalf just says, men of Gondor, whatever comes through that door, stand your ground. And and, and to me, that's just the perfect illustration for whatever comes into your consciousness, whether it's beautiful, but especially if it's really troubling, don't react. Just hold the space. That's what the apathe idea that I talk about is just being able to accept without judgment, whatever comes into your head and surrender it to the God that loves you, not hold it into yourself. And so that's what that react to the thought would be. And then all of it, the the key is whatever any thought you just, and it is gently, it's not like Jesus, you know, it's just let it go nice (laughs) and easy. Just let it, uh, let you say the word and just kind of let it break up and kind of real, you know, kind of chill, uh, to to allow yourself to recenter. Mm. Yeah.
1: You were quite vulnerable in your book, um, talking about the challenge uh, of monitoring and remembering the thoughts and ideas, images, the feelings, you know, trying to catalog or just hold on to that. I really appreciated your vulnerability there and also kind of your instruction of. How to process that? Do you want to speak to that a little bit as you've wrestled with, you know, when you get those thoughts, when you have that great sermon idea, or you just, oh, I'm feeling pain. I I just remember that so-and-so said something about me, and it hurts. How, How do you deal with that in the moment of trying to stay in this centered prayer mindset?
3: Yeah, at at first I would try to remember things and write it down in a journal afterwards, uh, but I realized that was counterproductive. And I think it's actually... It's gotten easier over time for me just to do it once I realized I wasn't like fatally messed up, that this was normal to have these kind of things pop in my head. So that was the first key thing was to realize, oh, this is what's supposed to happen when you sit in silence. And, you know, but nobody had told me, they just told me how to do centering prayer without the warning on that stuff. So that's why I put it in the book. (laughs) So once I realized, okay, this is part of the process in that, you know, God really is just essentially saying give those things to me. You don't have to carry it. Um, And I've worked through most, I think, uh, of the big traumas that I've had in my life now just over, over these years. So it's kind of gotten easier at this point. If something pops up, I just, I can surrender it. So I would just encourage people, well, not to judge yourself. So like, if you run into something that really, like some really Bad memory that you didn't even know you had. I mean, there's no shame if you just got to break out of the session, I suppose, right? So let's just say that because there's no real wrong way to do this prayer. And if it's causing you real pain, I think I would just pull out um, and then you can do it again. And then maybe you need to t- call a friend. And if you get enough trauma, like I know Thomas Keating, the priest that started the centering prayer movement, when they started doing centering prayer retreats, which would then involve a lot of centering prayer. So, like, you know, several hours a day they had to start bringing therapists into Mm. these um, retreats simply to help people process stuff that comes up. So I do want to say that. And like, I have seen therapists myself. I mean, that's not all in the book because the book was just focused on the prayer. So if you do run into something that really bothers you when it comes up, you know, talk to your pastor, uh, talk to a, you know, a, a good Christian therapist. Now, the other thing I would say And I don't think this defeats the purpose. Um, I've always done journaling after my centering prayer sessions. And so uh, what I would suggest is like, do your best to let, let it go during the prayer session. But then this could help. Again, this isn't a book. So the book was just focused on centering prayer, but but my practice, and this has really helped me over the last 10 years, is I do my own version of a prayer of examine. um, And I always do the centering prayer first. And then once I'm done, I do a little regular prayer. And then I write in a journal and I always just write down five things I'm grateful for every morning, which is just a great framing things. But then I just ask myself this question, Um, Is there anything bothering me? And, Mm -hmm. you know, that's post the prayer and I'm not trying to remember stuff, but I just asked myself when I do like a body scan, like early on when I was going through after the divorce, I just, I had prayed, Lord, just bring all the darkness out of me because I want to be healed. And I just, you know, everything in my life got flipped upside down. And so I just was basically like, you know what, this is my one, this is like a video game. I got to hit reboot, start this whole thing over. So I might as well get it right this time, you know? And so, and so one of the things I did is I'm like, you know what? I wonder if I always have to feel weird sensations in my stomach and all this anxiety that I feel all the time. And I thought, I bet you that's not how I'm supposed to feel a hundred percent of the time. And so I just started journaling about, you know, why do I have this funny feeling in my body? Why is my neck stiff? And I would just ask myself questions like what's bothering me. And I found that to be super helpful way of just, again, kind of processing stuff that was bothering me in a conscious way outside of the centering prayer session. And so in a sense, I was kind of like, um, you know, this prayer of examines another form of, it's another form of prayer, but you're writing it down. So it was like me lamenting then in my journal. And for a while there, that was pretty intense. Some of the stuff I was writing, it's getting, I mean, I'm grateful to God that it's less and less what's bothering me. There's less to put down every day, but for a while (laughs) there, that was taking a long time. So that's a way, that's a means of grace that we can all use to process outside of the centering prayer, but the centering prayer may stir things up. Um, I don't know if that was clear what I said, but that's that would be some strategies I think I would use. I don't know if I answered your question. Sure.
1: No, you did. You, you absolutely. Um, I think part of it too is uh, going, I mean, in a, even a different direction uh, to some degree of processing the centering prayer and. You know, some I don't have it in my in my uh, in my gift set, my strengths area. But some that I know that are very good at maximizing their time, and focusing in on the goal and achieving the goal, and not wanting to waste. You know, whatever vein whether it's pastoral or other uh, type of work. How do we see this as a? To, to, how do we maximize this, or is there is it not about maximizing? Is it about something else? Uh, and you mentioned in your book something about oh, yeah. the false self, and I'm wondering if you would like to speak to that for a minute.
3: Yeah, and you know, and honestly, um, you know, I'm like a I'm a classic Enneagram three. Um, I have been called a workhorse. Um, I'm the guy that you give stuff done. I'm the busiest person you know, and you still give it to me. and I'm going to deliver, and that's been that was basically my identity for a long time. And the centering prayer has really broken that up, and so it's kind of ironic. Again, this isn't spiritual formation is never a means of actually becoming more efficient. Um, but if I, if we're speaking to somebody who feels like they don't have time, um, and I have to be careful I say this, but I, my sense is, if you invest in a real deep dive into your own soul, you'll always have enough time for everything else. Because I just think it expands. Because if you just if if you know if everybody would just kind of even this after they get you know if they don't, don't turn the podcast off because we want to keep talking to you after after the podcast <laughs> is over just 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 observe yourself the rest of the day. Even how many negative thoughts you have about yourself, how many how you think about other people when you see them, and how you, or even and then how even you judge your circumstances, and we burn a tremendous amount of our own mm-hmm. spiritual, emotional energy just on that. And um, I'm not perfect on any of those things, but early on, I just became aware what was going on in my inner life, and the centering prayer and these practices have turned the volume down on that part of myself. And I would say I still get just as much done as I used to, but my goodness gracious, do I feel better? And I feel like a human being, not a human doing. Um, And and, and I, and I have more, and I think it gives you enough self-awareness to be able to say no, when you need to say no without judging yourself or worrying about losing a friend or whatever. And so there's just, um, yeah, so as far as efficiency, you know, I would say the more time you spend in centering prayer, it'll actually open up your life uh, more. And, you know, the old, the old joke is if you don't have time for 20 minutes of um Send this this was an old buddhist jokes so they would say it this way if you don't have time for 20 minutes of meditation you should probably do 40 minutes of meditation
2: you know? <laughs> <laughs> right. i mean it makes me think of we all do it we all we all have the like oh but i've got i need to tackle these things first right i've got these priorities that have to be managed especially um and this is not saying it's worse for pastors than other people um but there can be an urgency right like no, this, this person needs to be visited in the hospital today. Right. Like, you know, this sermon has to be delivered today. And sometimes there's a sense of urgency that there's not no, there's no room for it. Um, But the people I know who are threes of which I am not um, maximizer sorts, you know, they pay attention to things like how their nutrition and their eating will improve their day and, and maximize their efforts. you know they'll'll we'll read self-help books on how to be better time managers. and and so like it or not for all of us, there is a sense that if if you don't have room to do it, it's because it's not important to you at the moment. And that's um, me pointing the finger to myself in you know included. Um, it's the same as the doctor telling us if you would exercise for 20 minutes a day, right? If you would go on a long walk for 20 minutes a day, um, then the the chemicals and the release in your body will make you more effective in the rest of your day. Um, but we have a tendency to go, oh, I don't, nope, I don't have time uh, to do that. When the information would tell us, no, it actually helps improve all of the other systems and functions. I think what you said about um, you know, the release of thoughts, the release of emotion, the time spent investing in yourself um, that makes absolute sense to me that it would only improve your effectiveness in the rest of the day. Um, and, and yeah, so it's it's the challenge of the conviction that um, if we're not doing it, if we're not spending time in the word and in prayer, it's probably because we have bought some sort of false self thing that we're too important or there's too much to do to do it. And there's just its own con- there's an own, a layer of conviction in that, right. That, that we just need to hear. Um, I also, you know, think you said something earlier to circle back to really quickly. Um, Sometimes we worry about letting those thoughts float away Uh, either the to-do list um, or the difficult thoughts. We worry that, that we'll forget them. And you mentioned earlier that a lot of times the Holy spirit will bring that back around like later in the day, If the Holy Spirit wants you to to, uh, mine that out, right, and to invest in it, investigate it, um, and to pursue it, that that won't be the only time you have that thought, right? Um, The thought will come back to you. um, And in that practice of examine, especially, that you, what you're telling us is that you can separate your examination of the prayer from the time of prayer itself. Um, and we tend to mesh them together. I need to evaluate the prayer while I'm praying it, <laughs> right? Like, oh, was it appropriate for me to have that thought, or um, does the Lord want me to investigate that sin in my life? No, like, just pray for the 20 minutes, and then later you can unpack, right? What might have happened in that time? It's really effective to kind of hear that separation of the two things that I can pursue it later. Um, I, I'd also Say for um, women who are listening, especially, um, you know, those the narratives m- may be a little bit different. Um, they can be a lot of like, um, what am I going to make for dinner? I need to get these things at the grocery store. Um, my kid's picture day is tomorrow, and I haven't turned in the order form. <laughs> and and the kind of um, daily maintenance stuff, right, that um, comes up in everyday life, and um, a surrender of those things too, to say if it's important and if it's necessary, it will come back to me later. Right. I don't, I don't need to hold that now you've articulated a thing about surrender. That's hard to put into words. Um, but that's part of my new discovery in this season is, uh, the significance of just handing it over, letting go, emptying out, giving it to God, trusting God. And, um, a new profound level of God's presence that's found in surrender instead of us bringing prayer right um, to God. And so I appreciate the way the books articulated that level of surrender um, to take us to that next place.
3: Yeah, that's the, to me, that's the, the, the continue the growing edge. And that's even my, I always come up with a word for a year. So my word for 2022 is surrender. And I want to learn deeper ways of surrendering um, and, and, what centering prayer does is, is, I mean, the whole point of this is essentially so that when we're done and that's always the critical piece, because some people like what are you, he's trying to withdraw from the world. Well, yes, for like 20 minutes, and then I'm going to go into the world and be Jesus's hands, feet and mouthpiece for the rest of my day. <laughs> Therefore, the gift of this is that it lets us practice God's presence in the now, because most mm-hmm. of our lives we spend either. You know, churning over something that already happened, and then it's just our interpretation of it, which may or may not be a hundred percent accurate. Or we're worried about something that hasn't happened yet. And instead, what God needs us to do—and I love this—my one of my mentors was Dr. Robert Tuttle. He's he's eighty-one now. He taught at Asbury for a long time and several other schools. But um, he always he always taught me and everybody else that listens to him. Probably, they always said, "Show up, pay attention." God's got way more invested in this than you do. Mm. And, and I think the centering prayer in a sense teaches how to do that because that's what you're doing. You're going to show up, your intentions to be with God. And when a thought comes up, you surrender it and just know that you know God's got way more invested. And so when I go through my day, I can be present because I've already kind of released things to God and, and you can take the centering prayer practice into the world and you can use your prayer word anytime, right? It's like mm. you go into a stressful meeting and you feel yourself freaking out. It's like just observe how you feel and use the prayer word to yourself, and then re-engage with the persons. You know, I mean, I, I use it throughout the day, and it's kind of let me carry my medit- my meditation practice that I do in my bedroom at my house. You know, into a faculty meeting. Not that that's a terrible place to be, but or any kind of stressful <laughs> situation teaching, you know, like before I got on with you all, I did a little quick two minutes just to mm. recharge the batteries. And I just, um, uh, I find it to be completely practical, even for busy people. And you can, it just lets me, Again, I'm not perfect. So I don't, I don't come off sounding like a saint at all. Cause I have plenty of uh, plate times when I don't can't get control of my own brain and still get anxious and stuff. But I know, I am way, I've definitely turned the volume down big time um, from the way that I used to be. And it's, and people notice it um, um, from time to time that haven't seen me in a while. And I'm like, and it makes me kind of smile. I'm like, okay, good. Cause you can't always see your own growth, but some other people can say things. So I just want to encourage people um, this is a game changer. And for our world, we've seen all the divisions and just the craziness the last two years. It's really interesting. The book came out right during this period because I had started it you know, before we even knew anything was happening. But in a sense, these silence and solitude practices are something that all of us in the church can really embrace as we're trying to think about what does the church look like after all this is over and how we can then become a healing agent, you know, within the United Methodist church, within our local communities. And these are things that I, these are real tools that can authentically help the people that we serve and ourselves be the, um, uh, the kind of missional holy witnesses that I believe Jesus has called us to be in this day.
2: Yeah. Mm. Because the, the 20 minutes, isn't in and of itself right it kind of spills over into the other elements of your day and uh into your very uh, personality and and experience of god's presence and um and so the the benefit of it is more than 20 minutes right it has this sort of residual effect into the rest of the day and and wouldn't i, I mean it's hard at first but wouldn't you say that the more you do it the more desperate you are for it right and and so then it it becomes um, a hunger, a touchstone of sorts, to say like, "Oh, I need this right now." So, fighting through the the difficulties of it first certainly has a a long term payoff for us. And then, as you're saying, right, for the our interactions and our um, the opportunity for us to be healing agents in the world. Uh, I I do have I think maybe the 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 challenging question for you today is uh, what about those who might read the book and say, "Oop, this is too new agey. It he's using words like meditation. And, and um, as you know, for some people that could push some buttons of um, is he treading on difficult waters here? So um, I don't think so, but why don't you tell us about, uh, about what that might stir up in people and why they shouldn't worry that this is, some sort of new agey practice?
3: No, and I think it's a great question because I'll could. i just be honest. I think one of the reasons I never even knew about these sorts of things until I was in my 40s is like the church I grew up in, which was in Akron, Ohio, and it was a United Methodist Church. We would have thought this was a new age when I was growing up because it was always. Yeah. Um, uh, and so I would have associated this with new age myself. A couple of things I would say, um, you know, most religions have some form of meditation because that's just... Um, it's kind of a biological, if we just take ourselves as, um, the way that our brains work that at some level, there's, this, there's just, it's part of our neurology, um, the way our brains work, that um, meditation works. Now, the difference being, is, and this is the critical thing because other religions pray also, but that doesn't mean we don't pray with words just because say a Muslim or a Hindu would pray. Um, there's just religion, religious phenomena Now, centering prayer <clears throat> the difference between it and eastern meditation meaning like buddhist vipassana meditation or transcendental meditation which is another kind of eastern practice that comes out of the hindu religion <clears throat> it's all about intention and this is the key thing most other forms of meditation even if the techniques are slightly similar are about looking inward to find the truth mm-hmm. What we're doing is we're sitting in silence with a transcendent God who created the world, who's the you know the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we're asking the Holy Spirit to come into our lives. So it's all about the telos. My goal isn't just to peer inside, though. I you know I've talked about you know thoughts coming up. Our goal is to release those thoughts so that we can kind of commune soul to soul with the transcendent God of the Scriptures. Hmm. So that that that's a key difference. the it's the, t- it's the so purpose good. of the whole thing. That's the critical yeah. difference. And then the second thing I would say is um, I wouldn't start a person who had no spiritual formation practices with centering prayer. I would want people to be reading scripture, praying, worshiping, doing the other means of grace. This is an add-on bonus <laughs> that it builds on those because you know you could. I think one way when I go back and read my book, I may not have made that point strong enough, but I essentially came to centering prayer. Geez, having been in the church for like 38 years,
2: yeah.
3: Uh pastor, read the Bible every day, all those kind of things. So it's not a substitute for the other means of grace. So I would say those would be the two things. It's our purpose, and then centering prayer doesn't replace. Uh, The rest of our rhythms, our spiritual practices, it comes alongside of those things. And you need those the traditional means of grace first.
1: This is not training for the 5K. This is training for the triathlon, multiple marathons. This is high-end spirituality, practice of discipleship.
3: Yeah, I, I think so, and uh, yeah, and I don't know at what point you'd want to introduce somebody, but you just want you, you want to make sure they're getting a steady diet of scripture, so they're building. Is so if you're going to go to silence, you need to have had all the worded stuff, you know, and the you know the, what's yeah. the what's the technical term? It's apophatic and cataphatic. So, uh, centering prayer is apophatic. It's it's the via negativa. It's it's the it's the stripping away. It's silence. Cataphatic stuff is um, scripture hymns speaking out loud, all those kind of things and it so it sits on it sits on those so yeah I think that's right that's probably like marathon training I guess that would be
2: essentially fair. you'd want somebody to have some knowledge and foundation of the character of God right yes. um, the reality of of uh, the promises of God um, so that essentially they might have a tendency to be just self-reflective right in that silence if they don't have that other foundation for God to bring forth scripture right or reminders of his character or or, or presence it, yeah early on too early on um it could be not dangerous isn't the right word but yeah I could get in my own thoughts about who I think God is right um in my own evaluation of that instead of having the foundation of the truth of of that to form it um, and let's be honest right it's it's a practice of the ancients right this is, um, silent, meditative, contemplative prayer, um, has we've seen evidence of that right through the church's history um, since its inception, that this has been a formative work for people to take uh, new steps in their relationship with God.
0: Yeah. So, so far we've talked about two different forms of prayer. We've talked about centering prayer and the prayer of examine, and I just had a thought, and I, I'm, I'm thinking if I were to sum it up I would say that centering prayer is sitting with God, and then the, uh, uh, the, the examined prayer is sitting with your own soul. Is that fair?
3: I guess in in terms of if you make it about kind of the intent or the focus, I think that I think that would be fair to say it that way because you're more conscious when you're doing the prayer of exam, and you're actually reflecting on your own stuff rather than just I want to be with God. So yeah, I think that's fair, Adam. That's good. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah,
3: okay.
2: Yeah, and if our listeners are unfamiliar with the prayer of examine and and you walked through it a bit earlier, but essentially it's a a, a series of questions, right, to do some self-reflection and self-evaluation. Uh, of course, in relationship with what the Holy Spirit is doing with you, right, doing in you. Um, And so one kind of involves silence and surrender, and the other involves a sort of awareness and reflection. Uh, But both of the practices are helping you in the things of surrender, um, helping you in the things of experiencing the presence of God um, and being transformed by Him. But the tools, those are two really Significant tools that I witnessed, like in my father or in other people who've had ex- um, significant transformation in a life of prayer, they've used um, something of those two tools, right? Um, um, because then there is reflection on what God is doing, and then there's just experiencing the presence.
3: Mm-hmm. And, so the, and I, the real blessing of I'm sorry, the, the real no, blessing the journal thing is you you actually have dates on it, so like I have stacks of journals now, so I could like look any day, give me a day, and I'll tell you what what was bothering me that day if something wasn't, and, and then you can go back and read them, which is really fascinating to kind of see then what, how God's been working in your life. So it's almost like a gift to your you know future self by doing this journaling too, let alone yeah. you know, praying it to God. So, yeah, sorry to interrupt you, Adam.
0: No, that's okay. Um, th- I was just going to share that my own aversion to uh, both centering prayer and the prayer of examine um, has been my, aversion to silence throughout the course of my life right you know that there's that experiment uh, that people talk about where they place people in a room by themselves with a button and the button would issue an electric shock do you guys remember hearing about that and like i I don't know (laughs) yeah so like okay so they, they place these people in a room and there was a button in the room and when you press a button it would issue an electric shock and they found that people would repeatedly shock themselves instead of sitting alone with their own thoughts in silence. Wow. Like they would resort to shocking themselves (laughs) instead of sitting alone in silence. Wow. (laughs) Um, Because I think really like silence can be a painful experience. And I think the reason why so many people try to do everything they can to avoid it is to, to avert that pain um, that you can experience in silence. And so I think what, what you share, Brian, it, are really good strategies to kind of deal with those intrusive, um, maybe even painful thoughts that could come up in a time of centering prayer. Uh, the four R's uh, of, of how, how we just allow those thoughts to come and to pass and to recenter ourselves on the presence of Jesus. Um, I know it really helped me uh, in in my own aversion to to silence, just reading through those those things and and wrapping my head and heart around them. So, yeah.
2: You know, Brian mentioned earlier that he's an Enneagram three. I'm an Enneagram seven, supposedly, right? <laughs> yeah, <it's laughs> and right. Uh, one of our a supposed common characteristics is, um, avoiding discomfort. So, uh, we kind of build our lives around, um, not ever having to feel uncomfortable. So, uh, the best way that, that I've, ex- the easiest way to explain that is you, if you know me or you've been in my presence, I have two things, at least two things on my person at all times. One of them is a, a glass of ice water, um, or a bottle of water. And the other is a Tic Tacs, a box of Tic Tacs. And that I carry them with in lip gloss. Okay, Gabe, thank you. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, And that is because like, if I'm in the car or I'm at work or I'm at home or I'm in the doctor's office, I don't, the thought of being without it, Mm -hmm. the thought of being thirsty and not be able to drink is the thing that has me carry that cup of water around with me, even though I might not use it. Right. The, the, the thought of being uncomfortable makes me prepare and prevent being uncomfortable. Uh, and I'm not put off by silence and solitude in centering prayer. And I think maybe it's because um maybe through experience and and maybe through watching other people like my father, um I think it's not as uncomfortable as people anticipate it being. Um, there are moments of discomfort. Like if you've got a splinter, right? The splinter is painful. You don't want to take out the splinter. I remember my parents having to hold me down physically, right? As they're trying to get a splinter out of me. Um, I don't want it out, but when it's out the, the joy of the relief of that is greater than any pain I've experienced. And as Brian articulated earlier, the moments of sweetness of the presence of God, um, Getting glimpses, right, of this profound love and profound peace um, override any bit of discomfort that I've experienced in the silence itself or in the having to deal with the negative thoughts or the sin or the trauma, right? Those things come up, but it's like you get relief from them. Mm -hmm. And I would just really encourage people, like, which is worse, that you walk around every day of your life uh, stuffing and stifling those uncomfortable feelings of trauma. Just thinking like, uh, and sin. If I just push them down, if I just don't think about them, if I just tune them out, right? With with enough noise, then I won't feel uncomfortable. Uh, no, you are feeling uncomfortable mm-hmm. because you're having to repress them, and it's coming out in issues of anxiety and depression and uh, distance in relationships. And what if it's possible, right? That the Holy Spirit wants to relieve you of those things by pulling the splinters out, right? And that the sweetness of the relief would be um, more freeing and more joyful than what you're walking around with every day. So maybe it's my Enneagram seven saying like, uh, which is worse that you walk around with the discomfort of your traumas and sadness and sin and worry every day, or that you experience the temporary discomfort of surrendering them to God for him to take and carry. For me, the relief will be worth it right? Every time Hmm. that puts enough of my sermon for the day.
0: That's That's a good, that's a good Thank you very much. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, That's a really good word. And like, also just like noting that you're not sitting in silence by yourself. You're sitting in silence with Jesus and letting him bring you the healing that, that he knows you need in his presence. Like,
2: yeah. Yeah. It's like going to my father because my father can solve a problem and, and my father's not living anymore, but if he was, and some of the things we've endured recently, if I could call him, go to him, and him pick up that problem for me, I would not hesitate for him. I would go, Daddy, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? I'd be I'd be 40 going, Daddy, can you fix this for me? Right. And he would do that. And and yet we're so resistant to do the same thing with our Heavenly Father, right? To sit in his presence. And to go, can you take this from me? I don't want to carry it anymore. I, it's mind-boggling to me that we're so resistant to that level of love and healing and peace that we can find. I don't, I don't know why we resist it so much, but I guess that is. A bit of the light and darkness that we battle, you know, all the time.
1: It's the believing the lie that we are condemned and not yeah. remembering that we are no longer condemned because of Christ and that we have been radically embraced by God. Yeah. And we have to believe in that. And what happens is our false self lives in fear of rejection. And so we're constantly stuck in this loop and this pattern of self defeat. And so to get out of that pattern, it's recognizing that we have to live by the Spirit. How do we connect to the Spirit? We plug in. How do we plug in? We abide, and that's, I think, what this is about. The centering prayer is literally abiding in the presence of God with no other uh, agenda than just to sit in the presence of God. Hmm. Tell me if I'm, I'm I'm off track, please.
3: No, not at all. That is, that is the whole practice and it's the ultimately freeing thing because, you know, Paul talks about the living by the flesh versus living by the, the spirit, like in Romans A, for example, and, you know, in the flesh, a lot of times that gets like the NIV, The old NIV would translate that sinful nature, which isn't a good translation because the flesh is just us apart from God's grace, which would include our sins, obviously, but it's that whole false self, but it's us trying to make our way through the world with our own resources, our own talents, which is a mixed bag of the what, how God created us to be and then the, who we had to become essentially to function in the world. And so the centering prayer just reminds us that you just got to let go of all of that and open up yourself. And that's when the spirit flows in and then the flesh, we aren't living by the flesh anymore. So, you know, I love what you said. And this isn't in the book, but the um, as I've talked and this came out of some of my coaching um, talk on, and about what I call the unholy trinity now. And it is what how our false self gets all bottled up. It's the unholy trinity of fear, guilt, shame. It's mm-hmm. there's not enough. I don't do enough. I'm just not good enough. And most of us are afflicted by at least one person of that Trinity, if not all, all three. And the mm-hmm. silence will break that up and slowly heal it. And that's like I mean I loved you know, what you said. And Jesus wants us to be wants us to be free, he wants us to be able to show up Be ourselves, and when we can be fully ourselves in the power of the spirit, um, we can be present and extend the grace of God to others without with limit, without essentially extending all of our junk and projecting that onto other people, too.
2: Mm. Yeah, and we might should be clear before we, you know, begin to wrap up our time together that this is a lifelong pursuit, right? This isn't a six-week study of your book, and I'm going to practice solitude and silence uh, for a season until I get that freedom, and then I'll be able to kind of live my life in the abundance Jesus offers. No, this will be a a lifelong discovery, right, of more and more of hopefully— Right, that you get a taste of the presence of God, and then and and that's the goodness that the silence and centering brings, and you want more and more of that. But I think sometimes we misconstrue disciple uh, matters of means of grace and discipleship is like we'll do them temporarily until we've conquered that one, right, and then we'll we'll try another one. Where really the life of discipleship is pursuing all of these things all the time. And so um, I guess at the very least, I hope today we've inspired some folks to. Um, start and try and maybe uh, you know join us in the pursuit of uh, solitude, silence, centering prayer in the presence of God. So um, yeah, thank you really for your time.
3: Yeah, you're welcome and you know I don't know exactly when the episode's coming out, but Lent is, Lent is coming up and Lent would be mm-hmm. a great time to experiment with um, this if um, um, depending on when that's maybe in the middle of Lent, but if this is a great Lenten practice just to try it out for the the season and see what happens.
2: Yeah, that's a great idea. For those listening, uh, Ash Wednesday is March second, so you'd have a little bit of time to purchase the book and get some practice in, maybe. uh, So this is
0: this is actually going to air the Monday after Ash Wednesday. So it'll be at the beginning of Lent. It's okay. That's perfect. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) so it's not too late. It's not too late. You can still do this. Um, and before before we do move on to our fun segment, just wanted to make sure we we get that information out there. So uh, obviously we we can purchase your book on Amazon. Is there anywhere else that you might recommend?
3: Well, I would say too, uh, if if you just want a copy of the book, Amazon is the easiest and quickest place to get it. If like if somebody's listening, they want to buy multiple copies, and I mean by multiple copies like three or more, I would go directly to Paraclete Press. And if you call the number, you can ask for Sister Estelle and uh, she has deep discounts for churches and it doesn't take that much to get almost 45% off. I think like if I'm be a bigger church, but if you bought like, I think even like 30 copies, you're getting pretty close to 40% off at that point, but there's discounts beginning at three. So go straight to Paraclete. If you want multiple copies, if you just want to buy a copy, I think it's $10 on Kindle and maybe 16 for the paperback on Amazon right now.
0: Yeah, great, and we will drop links for uh, both of those uh, in the description of this episode, so thank you. Uh, that's great. Well, uh, before we wrap up today, I uh, have a little bit of a fun fun thing for us to do. Um, usually, we try to wrap up our episodes with uh, having a little bit of fun, and uh, since we are now in the season of Lent, uh, I thought we could do a little bit of Lenten trivia together. How's that sound? i scared. <laughs> I'm yeah. scared. Sounds it sounds dark. I know. <laughs> I <laughs> I trivia stresses to, me out. Yeah, <laughs> I always try to find something a little bit off the wall. Uh, that uh, you know, try try my best to stump you guys. So we'll see what yeah. we can do today. So, <laughs> um, all right, so here here we go. Uh, Want to make sure, Brian, you're included in this, so you get to. You so, are we
3: racing it. to an answer or, or out? What uh, I guess uh, there there
0: there will be a few different uh, question okay. formats here, kind okay, of a mixed you. format trivia. Okay,
2: we're we're mostly trying. To not look dumb, Brian. Oh. So in whatever there,
0: whatever there way, are no winners I, and losers. <laughs> no, well, again, remember if you
3: if you do enough centering pro, you don't worry about looking dumb anymore.
0: Yeah. You know, but, but. There we
1: go. I uh,
0: like it. Perfect. Another reason. All right. So uh here we go. The the season of Lent uh was officially added to the Christian calendar in what year? 325. Listen, the dates might be a hint if you know church history. I don't.
2: Okay. (laughs) Okay. 325, 590, or 1545? Okay, say them again.
0: 325, 325. 590, or 1545? 1545 is my final answer, Bob. Yeah, same. 1545, final answer. That was the Council of Trent, but it was actually – 325, the Council of Nicaea.
3: <gasps> Whoa. Goes
0: all the way back wow. to 325. Yeah, I was gonna
3: guess 590 because I figured Nicaea was too early. So that's that's good. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: Nicaea yeah. seemed that seemed way too early. I'm Should impressed. Have known better. Mm. I shouldn't have listened to you Game. So so,
0: so 5, 590 is gonna factor in uh, in a in a minute here. Um okay. so here we go. Uh, true or false, the season of Lent was originally 36 days and was later changed to 40 days. True or false? 30, how many days did you say? 36? 36, and was later changed to 40.
2: True. I'm going true.
1: I'll say
0: true. That seems like it could make sense. I think it makes sense. Yes, true. It is true. Um, (gasps) Yay! Yeah, it was originally six weeks, excluding Sundays. So it's 36 days. And it was changed... Around the year 600, by Pope Gregory 590 was was when he began his papacy. Okay, uh, and he changed it to parallel, of course, Christ's temptation in the wilderness. So
2: ah, there you go. Great.
0: So it was originally 36 days, changed to 40 days. Uh, I guess
2: when you're pope, you can do that, right?
0: Yep, <laughs> yep. So okay, uh, before it was renamed Mardi Gras by the French. Fat Tuesday was known as Shrove Tuesday. And yeah. instead of foods like jambalaya and gumbo, which food was traditionally eaten on this day? Pancakes. Anybody have guesses? I'll give you a few options if nobody's got a guess right off the bat.
2: Uh, I need fat, multiple fat choice.
0: Okay. Pancakes, many pancakes. My,
2: yeah, my own church experience says pancakes, but I'm I'm reluctant to believe that's true.
0: It is true. It is true. Really? Yeah, so the tradition dates back wow. to around the year 600 when uh, Pope Gregory uh, also, not only did he change the duration of Lent, he prohibited Christians from eating all forms of meat and animal products. So that's how old that tradition is. Uh, is It was around the year 600 when that became a thing. Uh, I guess
2: I, I guess I didn't imagine pancakes to be that old.
0: Well, so it may not be pancakes as we conceive of them, right? That's true. Like, That's true. I, I don't know if they actually ate maple syrup with them. I didn't <laughs> I didn't get that information. Uh, we all
2: have too many years in youth ministry, right, doing yeah. the Fat Tuesday pancake fundraiser. That's funny.
0: Yeah, yeah. But apparently it was around the time when that rule was introduced uh, that Christians began to uh, use Shrove Tuesday to use up all of their supply of butter, milk, and eggs uh before ash wednesday. So wow. there you go. All right. Um now whether or not that's true you could google me on that, I don't know. Um but that's what I that's what I found. Okay, uh the word lent itself originates from an old English word that means what? Passion, fasting, spring, or denial. I'm
1: going to let Brian take this one.
3: I, I honestly don't know. I would guess I'm just gonna guess and say denial, but I don't
2: uh, it's it's got to be denial or fasting I, fasting or I'm gonna go fasting
0: okay it is spring <laughs> <laughs> the, the the old English word is LinkedIn and it wow. means spring so kind of interesting little factoid for you there and They're very <laughs> See, this is proof. See, I'm
1: from
3: the Evangelical United Brethren side of the Methodist yeah. Church, and my, my home church was even evangelical. So, I'm just thinking we were cut off from all that stuff. So, I, I, did, I had no no yep. background.
2: Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't practice Lent as a United Methodist. I mean, we neither. didn't do it. It's a, it's been an adult concept in my life. Oh. Yeah. Oh, Brian, you might should know that Adam was raised Catholic, and so he has a little more experience in this than we do. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay.
0: Wow yep so all right so to- uh, last one this one's kind of fun um no no right or wrong well i mean there is a technically right answer but this will be <laughs> a little bit more fun to guess uh is uh what were the top three things that people gave up for lent in 2020 oh, 2020 in
2: 2020
0: top three things people gave up for lent i'll give you a hint it's Traveling. not chocolate it was it's chocolate. not chocolate It's it not chocolate. Was this willingly not or unwillingly three. from yeah. this? <laughs> this was according to a social media survey on Twitter.
2: Yeah. Wait, did it, did it, does it include any COVID restrictions? Like they had to give up seeing people for
0: 2020. I, you know it, of- does <laughs> it does not. It does not. Uh, they had to give up people, all social interactions. Yeah, th- things up, that people like voluntarily Facebook. gave up, not involuntarily.
2: Okay, oh, hey, okay. I'm yeah. with Gabe social media.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. That was number 1. Okay. Yep. What about watching one. the news and stuff like that was that? Oh, mm. that's a good, oh, that's that's a good, a good guess. Guy. Yeah, it did not appear in the top 3, but uh, that would have been a really smart thing to give up in 2020. Alcohol. <laughs> that was number 2. That makes sense. So, okay, yeah. so we're 2 for 2. Can we get number 3? Oh, you on,
2: said on. no chocolate, but I've I've no noticed chocolate. a lot of people doing more like sugar, like saying sugar all together. Chips. Maybe it's salty, no?
1: chipsy stuff.
0: Maybe it's, that, mm, it's Ga- that. Gabe's on the right track with salty stuff. hmm Potato chips. <laughs> Four, three. Fast food.
2: Oh. Uh, okay.
0: Fast food.
2: So, yeah. wait, what did you say? Social media, social alcohol, media, and fast food. Mm-hmm. mm yep.
0: So chocolate didn't even make the top three in. That's 2020. great. Like
2: it used to be, like chocolate soda, Pizza. right? Like caffeine. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Mm.
0: Yep. So there you <laughs> go. There you go. Lent trivia. Thanks for playing, y'all. And uh, uh, Dr. Russell, thank you so much for joining us today. We really uh, enjoyed having you on the podcast and yeah. our conversation about. Uh, centering Prayer. Be sure to hop on either Amazon or Paraclete Press and pick up uh, one or 50 copies of his book, however <laughs> many you'd like, uh, and make sure to talk to, what was her name? Sister Estelle. She,
3: that, that's run by Benedictine uh, um, Catholics, and so there's several uh, nuns that are
0: working there, and she's the oh, marketing person. that's awesome. Person.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Awesome.
0: Awesome. Okay, so make sure to talk to Sister Estelle if you're interested in making a bulk order of those books for a study for your church. Uh, And uh, next month, we will be coming to you live from Jerusalem. From the Holy Land, yes, uh, we will be heading to the Holy Land on March 24th uh, with a group of people from several different churches. Uh, It's going to be Larry's fourth trip, uh, Gabe and Sarah's second trip, and my Mm -hmm. very first trip to the Holy Land Uh, So I'm really looking forward to that, and uh, we are looking forward to sharing uh, some reflections on our experience in the Holy Land, live from Jerusalem, next month with you all. So thanks for joining us on Midnight Theology. And remember, Ash Wednesday begins at midnight, so next year, make sure to steer clear of those Fat Tuesday pancakes for a midnight snack if you're giving up sweets. See you next time.